Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. We're going to be in that whole area. Um, but can I just talk to you for a second about your life? <clears throat> you know what some of your lives look like? You got a lot of stuff going on in your life, right? Some of you, let's just start with this. When you were a wee little child, we know this, you had to get educated. So you, you put your backpack on with your books or your, well, we don't have textbooks anymore. We have laptops and, and smart books and whatever they may be and iPads. And so you know, you got, you know this, education is, 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 a, is a part of life. So some of you, you got your education life. You're going, okay, what else you got? Some of you, you have, you have things you enjoy doing and you're good at it. And you're just like, man, I just live for, I, I'm not saying I do. I'm just trying to relate to everyone. I live for household chores and household projects and if I could just swing a hammer once again, if I could just get into that bathroom and tear into that thing and, and remodel something or just build a new shed, boy, that, I would love that. Just, it's, just, it's, it's a part of your life. Uh, others, others of you, you, um, you think about your career. You got your lanyard so you can check in every day. Boss, I was here on time. I, I, I want you to know I checked in on time. I checked out on time. I'm going to get the perfect attendance award at work for 10 years. Straight, straight, no, no days off. I'm just, I'm, and you got that going. You got your, and then some of you, you think about, um, you're a real foodie. It's kind of like one of the things you do. So roll with me. It's a Pop-Tart, but uh, you're a real foodie. And I just, I'm just, you know, it's one of the things I just love. I just want to go to those frou-frou places where they got the weirdo, I mean, the good stuff, the good food. And I, I'm kind of a plain meat and potatoes type guy, but some of you, you're real foodies, and it's like the more odd, the, the more out there, the more you just love it. It's, it's just a part of my life. Well, of course, then you, you got your, your social media, so I put my stocking hat on because this is what cool guys do. You wear your stocking hat. You know, the interesting thing, what you're thinking as you look at me in a stocking hat is the same thing I thought too when I looked in the mirror earlier. Two things. One is there's, what, the big thing is there's really a fine line between Boy, that guy's cool. He's got his stocking hat on. And boy, that guy looks like an Amish guy. <laughs> Fine line. I would say I'm leaning towards one of those directions. I'm not going to tell you which one. But you're like, I, I'm, on, I'm online. I got my, my Twitter or my, that's like old school. Um, all those old people are on Facebook. But um, you, I got my TikTok. I, I got my, my Snapchat. I, I got my Facebook or my whatever. I mean, I... I got my image, you know, I got things I got to say. I got to get my thoughts out there, tell you what I had for dinner last night, who I'm taking pictures with. It's part of your life. And then you got family. I better turn this around quickly. It's an old family photo, but family means the world to you. You love your family, right? We've got family. We love family. And Oh, and let's not forget some of your hobbies. Some of you saw me put this in. And you, got, you got your hobbies. You're just like, you know, I could even do this left-handed if I do it right. You got your hobbies, you got your family, you got your foodie, you love doing this, you, you got work, you got education, you got all, the, most of this stuff sands the, um, the, the, the face, uh, the social media, you could probably do without, but most of this stuff really is, is, is not bad stuff. But here's the challenge. The Holy Spirit begins to, begins to um, uh, convict you of your sins. Maybe you go to a church service. Maybe someone shares Christ with you. You're like, whoa. You know, I never thought of Jesus that way. I never thought of God that way. And so this is what many of us do. Many of us, I mean, not all of us, but many of us. We just, 
It's like, you kidding me? I don't want to go to hell. I can, I can, I can be free of my sins and I can be forgiven. And so what do we do? We just like, I got all this stuff. This is great. Okay, I'm going to add Jesus. All right. Woo! Jesus is just all right with me. I am, I am, I got Jesus. And I got my hobbies and I got my family and I got my foodie and I'm kind of cool on social media. In fact, I might put a picture on this. Hashtag Jesus. Uh, I got my work. I got all this. I got I, just my projects. I just, all this stuff and I just added Jesus so I don't have to go to hell. Woo! This is great. Now here, here's what I'm getting at and you probably know where I'm going, but let me just say it. <clears throat> when you give your life to Christ, you don't just add Jesus to your life. Jesus transforms your life. It, it, it's not, Jesus isn't just something that, I got all this other stuff going, and I'm just adding Jesus to my life. No, you were created to bring glory and honor to God. And when you submit your life to Christ, this is my starting point. So everything else in my life is there to bring glory to God. My relationships with my family and my love for them and how I care for them and how I honor my father and mother. And sometimes that's really difficult to do. We know that in any stage of life. But the way I do that, I do that not just because I should, but I do it as worship to you, Lord. As, I, as I'm Thinking about hobbies, nothing wrong with hobbies. But if my hobbies are getting in the way of what? The worship of God, then something needs to change. I need to learn to do my hobbies as under the Lord. You've got, oh, I'm still, I'm still going to work here. You've got your work. You see, God created you for work. And, and, and we can take work and we can, when we get saved, what happens is I'm now a new creation. The old is gone, and the, all, the new, I'm, I'm a new believer. I am now, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives inside of me. So now when I go to work, I don't work for the man. I don't work for the paycheck. I work for the man. I work for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm working and doing it as unto the Lord. Do you see the difference? My work now is worship unto the Lord. My honoring of family is not just because it's the American thing to do or a good thing to do or even a biblical thing. I do this as worship unto you, Lord. My hobbies, my job, my education is not my God. For many, nothing wrong with education, but you can't worship education. You weren't created just to be educated. You were created to bring honor and glory to God and to worship Him. That's your number one priority in life is to allow Christ to so saturate every part of your life. All these things are okay, but you do them as worship unto the Lord. And let me tell you what happens then is, well, let me tell you from the Old Testament what happened. In, in, uh, in King, King Ahaz's life, in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 28, we read about King Ahaz. And do you know what happened to him? Check this out. Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and took them away. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple. He shut down worship. 
the very thing that God had created people to do. He said, no, we're not going to worship. In fact, if we are going to worship, we're going to worship other gods. And we're going to bring, and we're going to call on other gods, not the one true God. We're closing down worship. He set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. And every town in Judah, he built the high places to burn sacrifices. It was evil. His son followed him, though. Remember that? We talked about it last week. His son followed him, his son Hezekiah. What happened in Hezekiah's reign? Well, this is what it looked like there. Check this out. Next verse. Or not. Okay. Hezekiah was 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple. Do you see a little difference here? King Ahaz closed the doors of the temple. He said, we're not going to worship the one true God. We're going to worship the God of our neighbors and, and the, 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 the gods who other people are worshiping. But Hezekiah said, not so. We're going to purify the temple and we're going to open the doors during the first year of his reign, the first month, the first year. He opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. Symbolically, what is he saying? Worship of God is going to be our priority. And you read that chapter in chapter 29 and you see he's saying, we're not going to be like everyone else. We're not going to be like our ancestors. They messed up. Ahaz was wrong. He said, my dad was wrong. Others were wrong. We've got to purify in fact, in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 35, it says there were burnt offerings in abundance together with the fat of the fellowship offerings and the drink offerings that accompanied the burnt offerings. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. <clears throat> Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. How amazing how quickly things changed from Ahaz to Hezekiah because there was a leader who was willing to stand up and say, in essence, as for me and my house, we're going to serve and we're going to worship God because we were created to worship God. Well, well, let's just get to it. Grab your notes real quick. Grab your notes. Will you fill this in? What happened when worship was opened up? In the back of the seats, there should be some notes. Fill these blanks and it'll help you follow along as we get through this. <clears throat> what happened? The first thing we see is this, unity. Unity. Fill that in, will you? First thing we see is unity. What's it look like? Chapter 30, verse 12. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the kings and officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. Man, I just love this, the, the, the unity of mind. There was a unity of thought. There was a unity of, it wasn't just unity for unity's sake. It's unifying around the hand of God, the will of God, the desire of God. In, in verse 6, <clears throat> I don't have time to go into it, but you might remember last week. At this point, God's children, God's people had been split into two tribes. Do you remember that? I mean, imagine with me in the, in the 1800s when we were the United States, but there was a north and a south. It's not exactly the same, but just imagine that. We were still the United States, but there was a north and a south. Remember that? You weren't there, but you remember studying it. Okay. In, in God's people here, there was two tribes. There was the northern tribe, Israel, and there's a southern tribe, Judah. Now, just real quick, Second Chronicles deals mostly with Judah. Deals mostly, which is the Davidic, the redemptive line, the line that Jesus came through. Just okay, so you just know that. Well, as as um, as as the Lord began to move on Hezekiah and and on on Judah, Judah and in in that tribe of Judah, they invited even Israel, the other tribe. Uh, look at it in verse uh, 
verse 5 and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our fathers were unfaithful. They, didn't, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. This is chapter 29. The Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. He's confronting it. He's saying, this is evil. This is wrong. But when you get to chapter 30, if you even look at uh, um, verse, uh, let's just go to uh, verse 6. Chapter 30, verse 6. At the king's command, King Hezekiah, couriers went throughout who? Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and from his officials which read, here's what I'm saying. Can you imagine if in in the midst of the civil war here in the United States, the north and the south got together for some revival services. Can you imagine that? Back in the 1800s here in our nation? That's in essence a a bit of the feel of, of the north and the south, Israel and Judah, the two tribes. Hey, I know we haven't done this since the, the days of Solomon. I mean, this was um, I think maybe two, three hundred years previous was the last time these two tribes had come together to celebrate any of the Jewish feasts. And it was Passover time. So Hezekiah says, Israel, we want to invite you. Come. Not everyone came, but many did. And, and the unity when they came together around Jesus Christ and the worship, excuse me, around the Lord, around God, they came together to worship God and remember the Passover and experience that together. There was such a move of God, it was unified. Now listen, I'm just going to share a story with you real quick. I want you to listen quick because I, I want you to get this. <clears throat> it's not just unity with one another, but it's unity with the heart of God. When we worship, when we open the doors of worship, when we open up the doors of worship in our heart and we realize everything I do is meant to be done as worship unto the Lord, you watch as God begins to mend your heart with his heart. We had spent almost four years in Angola, Indiana. We thought that's where God had us. In January of 2000, we resigned. We were not gonna be the lead pastors of that church. We'd been associate pastors for four years and we thought that's God's plan for us. January of 2000, thousand though it was very clear shut the door slam shut it was it was a broken time it was a it was a frustrating time it was a painful time you ever been there and I I, I remember we were driving home on the weekends and we were spending time uh, uh, going to the church Maine I grew up at Calvary Assembly of God in Elkhart and, and we'd come home and, and we'd worship there. And I remember week after week after week, I was sharing this with Bob White. Bob and Linda are part of our church. Some of you may have heard Bob had quadruple bypass surgery this week. And uh, last I talked with, with Linda, things were going as well as expected. So, um, uh, that, so there's that. We can pray for Bob. But I, I, as I was praying with Bob this week, I was like, Bob, I want you to remember something. I, I just want to bless you for a second. I know I've told you this before, but I'll never forget is you were the worship leader, Bob, that was at Calvary Assembly in that season when we, I was so broken and hurting. I could, I'm not a crier. I'm not really a crier. But I couldn't go to church week after week after. I tried to hide it. I didn't want anyone else to see. But as we, as we began to worship, as I began to just open my heart in worship to God in, in, that, in those times of worship, as, as Bob was leading us, the Lord would just, just, he just, I just bring my hurt and I bring my pain, bring my frustration, my confusion, and I just would worship him. My eyes would begin to water. <laughs> 
And I began to, God began to move on me. Week after week after week, I was so broken, so hurting. I didn't know. It wasn't even so much that Angola wasn't the answer and that church wasn't the answer. It was, God, I thought I heard from you. Can I even hear from you anymore? And week after week after week, I was worshiping. I was worshiping. I said, Bob, the Lord used you. I, I'm not saying the word of God being preached didn't speak to me, but I can tell you very clearly, God didn't heal me in that situation. God didn't move on me and unify me in, with his purposes in my life through a great message series. Oh, I'm sure I heard some great messages in the midst of that season. But you know what it was? It was in the midst of worship. It was just in the midst of worship that God began to heal me, restore me, and he began to give us the vision for what you're sitting in right now. Because just a few months later, the Lord would affirm that this was the call of God in our lives. And what we thought, we were in unity with the will of God. It really wasn't. But as we worshiped, as we pressed in through worship and we worship through our pain, it's just like when God spoke to Isaiah in Isaiah 54, oh, sing, oh, barren woman. There wasn't necessarily a barren woman that he was talking to. He was talking to his, uh, God was prophesying to, to, his, to his people. It's like even when you walk through a barren time, a dark time, a broken time, my, my, my encouragement to you people is let's sing, oh, barren woman. You who have yet to give birth, sing, just worship me through your pain through your hurt I'm telling you you want to find the will of God and align and unify your heart with the will of God can I encourage you don't stop worshiping open your hearts don't run from God run to God the second thing is this what we see in 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 second chronicles chapter 30 is the experience humility and repentance can you have one of these without the other I found myself as we were even singing about God of revival today. What a powerful song, powerful prophetic words. But I was just reminded, oh God, we humble ourselves. God isn't just standing around waiting. He's looking for a humble people. He's looking for people who will humble themselves before him. And he, he's not just like a, a sugar daddy, just like whatever you want, I'll give you. No, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way that he works and as we humble ourselves before him and then he moves. And that's what we see here in, in chapter 30, verse 13. A very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem, cleared away the incense altars, threw them into the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed, consecrating them. Ooh, stop, 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 stop. The priests and the Levites. God set aside a, tri a tribe, a group of people, the, the Levites, and said, I'm going to use you in the, in the leadership of of, of worship and, and the temple worship and, and out of the Levites, the priests would come out of the Levites and not all Levites were priests, but, but the priests all were Levites. And even those who were put in the position by God to order the worship of God, they weren't, they weren't following God in this season. But the priests and the Levites were ashamed and they did. They repented. They got their heart right with God. And they weren't just sorry. You know, being sorry about something, eh. True repentance is doing something about it. It's, it's saying, I'm not only sorry, but under the, the power of God, I'm, I'm never going to go back there again. I don't ever want to go back there again. 
God, give me the grace. Help me to use your strength, your power. Even when I'm tempted to go, no, 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 no. I'm repenting of that. I'm turning from that. That's what we see here. They were smashing idols, throwing them into the valleys. Like, we can't go back to this kind of worship. Verse, uh, chapter 31, verse 1. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places. Notice this. The altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. Why is that important? Let me just say this just real quick. Judah and Benjamin was what? The southern kingdom. Ephraim and Manasseh refers to the northern kingdom. Both kingdoms were touched by this move of God. Why? Because someone said, open up the gates. Let's worship. If we're going to do anything, we're going to worship God. That's our priority. That's why we're here. And when he did that, you see unity. You see humility. You see repentance. You see God's men and women coming for the Lord. They're taking those things that, that, that they had replaced their worship of God. They, they, some of these things right here. For some people in our culture, God forbid in this church, but let me just toss it out there. Some of you, you worship education in some ways more than you do God. Some of you, never, you would never say it, but your family comes before God. Now, I know that might mess some of you up, but ultimately the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else is going to fall into place. God is number one. The honor and the pleasing of God, not my children, not even my spouse. Oh, I want them to be happy, but ultimately... I don't want them to be happy at the expense of following God. God is my number one. He's my priority. I worship God. I put him as number one. What are other things? Parents, can I just encourage you? You are at an absolutely strategic time. You can roll over. Listen to me. You can roll over and just do what every other parent does. Or you can say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to seek God first. We're going to put him first. And as your kids are involved in sports... As your kids are involved in music, the thing that drives me nuts about these things is they so easily become a god. They so easily become your kid's complete focus and everyone else. I know we got some coaches in here, so I'm just going to tread lightly. But some of you, listen, some coaches, it's, it's not just during the season anymore. It's year-round. And, and, and I, let me just toss this out to you. Compare how much time we put into making sure our kids are there for the music practice or the music whatever or the, the sport thing or whatever to how much time we spend discipling them in the word. Helping them grasp the truth of scripture. I understand. I, I, I played a few sports in my day. Gave it up at about eighth grade. High school, I understand I did the whole musical thing. I love being on stage, love performing. That might surprise you. But, but listen to me. This is a whole new level now. This is a whole new level. It, it, it is, and I'm just going to say the word evil. I'll just say it. You don't have to like me, but it's evil. It's evil what the system, the world's system, is trying to Grab your kid, draw your kid to completely sell out to whatever this is when there's only one thing you want your kid to sell out to, and that's Jesus Christ. Teach your kid 
If you're, if you're, if you're going to run after the baseball, that's, the baseball's not your God. Jesus is your God. And if that means there are times when you've got to say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. No, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We put that first. I'm not saying it's easy. I remember those seasons when one of our girls was, was in sh- uh, whatever it's called, show choir, swing choir, whatever it is. And, and they're out to like 2, 3 in the morning coming home from the practices and the whatever. And, 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 and I know it probably, she probably wasn't going to go to hell if she skipped church that Sunday morning. But we were glad that she even made the decision. Yeah, some, they'll just scream at you and just carry on. But she made the decision that, no, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to be at church Sunday morning because God is my number one. You get what I'm saying here? Parents, we have an opportunity. If our kids are going to be involved in these things, okay, we need to make sure that we need to do everything we can to point our kids to the fact that Jesus is our, the one we worship. We don't worship a sport, and even if the coach, other parents don't do that, this is the way we roll because God is number one. Okay, let's keep moving. One strategic move by the leadership. King Hezekiah brought all this about. The third thing here, realignment with the word of God. We talk a lot about this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but look at um, the idea of realigning with the word of God. Second Chronicles 30, 16. Then they took up their regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood handed them by the Levites. This was prescribed to them by the word of God, the law of Moses. Second Chronicles 31, 21. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple, in obedience to the law and the commands of God. We got a revival happening here. They're coming together in unity. Even the two tribes, that north and the south, they're coming together in unity. Whew. They're repenting. They're hum- humbling themselves before God. There's, they're realigning with the word of God. And then the fourth thing that we see is this. Ready? Joy. Joy. Chapter 30, verse 21. So the people of Israel who were present in Jerusalem joyously celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. Um, in fact, uh, um, verse 23, I don't think it'll be on the screen, but it says, the whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days, they celebrated joyfully. Growing up, that was called a run-on revival. <laughs> you, you had your revival that was scheduled for so many days, and then it's like, well, we're going to have a run-on revival because God's doing something, so let's just hold them out. Let's have some more service. That's what they were having. It's like, they're, they're, let's, let's not stop. Let's keep going. I mean, long for just a, uh, that kind of a hunger in your kids, that kind of hunger in, in you, that I just, God, I just so want you. And the joy of the Lord so filled them. It was, it was such a, an awesome time. And then the fifth thing, and I, I, I know for some of you, you've never seen it quite this way, but there are heaps of tithes. There's heaps of giving, tithes and offerings. Um, you, you look in Second Chronicles chapter 31, follow me here. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portions due the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Time out. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and the Levites. So you got the priests, the Levites and the priests whose, whose job was to the, the temple, take care of the temple worship, do this. And you know what God had set up in the Old Testament? He set up a bunch of, of car washes 
and bake sales and, uh, and uh, fundraisers so that the temple and then eventually the New Testament church could be taken care of. Is that what he did? No, 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 no. This is what he said. He said, listen, if, you, if you've got just a, a tithe, it's a tenth. If you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. He's like, listen, even in the Old Testament, he set up the system of the tithe. Why? So the priests and the Levites could devote themselves to the law of the Lord so that they wouldn't necessarily have to go out and farm the land and work the land so they could focus on what it is God had for them to lead the people in, in worship. In, in, in chapter 10, or excuse me, verse 10 of chapter 31, um, it says, And Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, because the Lord has blessed his people, and this great amount is left over. There's heaps and heaps and heaps. <laughs> now, before you start being like, oh, giving must be down, Scott's starting to talk about money. <laughs> Just wait till we get to our, uh, our, our annual business meeting at the end of February. And you'll see how it's quite the opposite, even in the midst of COVID. Um, the giving in this church has gone through the roof to missions as well as to the general fund. I'm not saying this because the, um, uh, Jim and Tammy need your money, okay? I'm not, I'm not some of you might want to Google that. You'll figure that out some of that. But I'm not saying, I, I don't have a, a special oil vial that I'll send you, a prayer cloth, nothing like that. I, God will use those things, but no, I'm just saying, God set up in the Old Testament a way for his church, his people, his, his, to be taken care of. In the, in the Old Testament, it was the temple upkeep, the worship. In the New Testament, it's the local church. It's the local church. And that, that system is the tithe. That system is the tithe. And it's, just, it's pretty simple. Everything we have is God's. In fact, Jesus, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, um, he talks about, yeah, Luke chapter 11. Woe to you Pharisees because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all the other kinds of herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Here was the perfect place for Jesus to say, woe to you Pharisees because you're still doing that stupid Old Testament thing of tithing. I can't believe you're do still doing that. I just can't believe it. This was the perfect spot for Jesus to step in and say, especially you religious Pharisees, you're still tithing. I can't believe that. Perfect time for him to do that. What did he do? No, exact opposite. He says, you ought to tithe. You ought to give. The problem with you, Pharisees, is your heart is hard. And so you have no mercy in your heart. You have no love of God in you. You have no justice. How did God set up from the Old Testament to New Testament so that his people, his church, could be taken care of? This is what he said. What you got to understand is everything's God's. Everything I have is God's. And God says, you know what? He says, listen, if you just bring, you can't give what's not yours. Everything is God's. He says, if you, just, if you bring just one, God says, I'll give you all the other nine. Well, God, actually, God, it's yours anyhow. I, how about we go half and half? I feel kind of guilty. You're, you just want to take one, and I'm to bring that modern day to my local church. I'm supposed to tithe with this one. There's $10, so I'm going to tithe 10%. I'm supposed to give this, and I get to keep all their nine. In fact, he's, he says this, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, he says, test me in this. And just see if I won't open the floodgates of blessing on you. If you just take that one and just bring that back to me, just watch how you can do more with the $9 left over than if you kept all the 10 yourself. I'm not going to spend any more time on that, but can I just encourage you? I'll say more about this this year, but can I just encourage you? Tithing and giving 
um, even the tithes and offerings, it, it's about, it, it, God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. And that's really what this message is about, is I'm worshiping from my heart, and it touches every area of my life. <laughs> and, and it's right here. I'm preaching the text. Just you study it yourself. Second Chronicles chap, uh, chapter uh, two, uh, 28 through, through 31, 32, just read all that. And pull out what happened when Hezekiah opened up the temple gates again. And he began to purify the temple. And the Holy Spirit began to move. What happened when worship was put back in its place? Now, I want the, speaking of worship, I want the worship team to come, will you? Now, don't put your notes away, though. Some of you, you're going to have to share with the worship team what the last two blanks are. Some of them are going to try to go to sleep tonight, and they're not going to be able to sleep because they have two blanks left on their notes. Here it is, number six. Ready? There's a time of testing. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, verse 1 of chapter 32, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war in Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking up the water. He's going to do some things to try to push back, in essence. Just look up here. How many, have you ever had a time in your life where you knew you weren't perfect? You, you understood that. But you're doing everything you could to follow Christ. You were doing everything you could. I mean, okay, I know I could probably pray more. I know I could fast more. I know I could study the Bible more. I know I could share Jesus with others more. I know, God, I know all that. But God, my heart is pure before you. I, if I've done some sin, if I've done something to deserve this time of testing, God, show me. And you get to the point where it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, have you ever been in that spot where you feel like you've done everything you know to follow God in faithfulness, but yet there's a test that God brings into your life, a test that most of the time you don't like? And I don't like. We've all been there. If you haven't been there yet, just know it's coming. There will be a season of testing. Here's Hezekiah. I mean, his dad Ahaz was so ungodly, closed the temple. Hezekiah comes, opens up the gates. Worship is happening. All the revival, unity. We're unified in mind. This is... I know the devil's not going to do anything now because we're unified in my... All this stuff is happening. God's moving. Woo! Then a time of testing comes. That's when the rubber meets the road, right? In your faith. How are you going to respond? What are you going to do to respond? Well, how did we see Hezekiah respond? In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 6... He appointed military officers over the people, assembled them before him in the square at the city gate, and encouraged them with these words, be strong and courageous. In this time of testing, that's the blank, you've got to fill in, number six, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is, here it is, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. 
in the time of testing, it's not the time to shut down and stay away from God and stay away from church and stop worshiping and stop praying. And it's not time to pull away. It's time to step in and say, because this is how I fight my battles. I fight my battles with worship. I fight my battles by lifting up my voice to the Lord. I, I fight my barren places, Isaiah 54, by just, I'm, I fight it by singing and worshiping through. Scott, that sounds ridiculous. I know it does, but it works. It's in the Word of God. We don't, we don't fight with flesh and blood. We, we fight because we know God's on the throne. And, and, and Hezekiah is like, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to turn away. I'm not going to stand in the face and just let the devil slap me across the face and and hide away in the corner like a mouse. But I'm going to stand in the face of adversity and I'm say, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Oh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how, this is how I fight my battles. Come on, see. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Sing it again. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I with him with him is only the arm of flesh but with us is the lord our god to help us and to fight our battles you can fill it in later on but number seven is victory read the rest of the chapter there is victory there is victory come on let's give him praise we bless you lord we bless you lord all because he opened the gates all because he opened the temple all because he began to worship and lead it's time to lead your family into worship it's time to lead your children into worship it's time to lead the community get our eyes off of what's in front of us and on the king of kings and the lord of lords and let the victory come in your life today